You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Good morning, church. Man, it's good to see you guys. I hope you're doing great. We are so glad that you're here this morning. Um, Man, God's Spirit's just been thick in this room um, all morning long. Amen? Yeah. Um, Just pray that I don't mess that up. You know, sometimes the Spirit just starts moving, and as a preacher, you know, I like to preach. I ain't gonna lie. Um, But sometimes, like, the Lord just takes over, and there's moments when you don't even even really know what to do, and you kind of just want to be still and just kind of let Him have His way. But, man, God's just good. Amen? Yeah, I said that already, didn't I? But that's okay. Um, if you're new with us this morning, today's your first time, thank you for being here. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Vintage. Um, we would love to get to know you, and you can kind of uh, let us know those who you are and that you're here and ask information about our church in a couple of ways. Uh, if you haven't downloaded the app yet, if you notice, we're not putting response cards and seats anymore because we're wanting to really move that as much digitally as we can. So if you pull up the app now, there's a note section that's going to have some preloaded notes for today's teaching. Um, those right now, with the way it's formatted, you'll at the end of that, it shows you instructions to email those to yourselves because they wipe clean every week. Um, so if you want to take those notes and save them, you can just email them to yourself and load them somewhere or put them on a file and you can have the teaching notes from today. There's also a digital response card within the app that if, if you accept Jesus today or if you have a prayer request or if you have anything going on in your life, we would just love to hear about it. There's also an events page and you should be getting some like push notifications as things are coming up around our church like um, our vision nights. And let me just thank everybody who's, who's come to our Above and Beyond Vision Nights. If you haven't heard about that, um, we're launching a giving initiative on March the 5th called Above and Beyond. And our hope is to, by the end of the year, on top of what we're planning to bring in, bank around $175,000 extra dollars in order to move forward with building our building. And so we're asking people just to pray through whatever God would have them to do as that. If, if, if it's nothing, fine. If God's calling you to do something, we want you just to be obedient to Him um, because we're hoping to finally break ground on the building, on the land we purchased back in 2015, sometime this year. But to do that, we all are going to have to go a little bit above and beyond. And I'm sure you may have questions about that. If you're new to our church, you're probably thinking, what's going on there? Um, we're doing these above and beyond vision nights where we can kind of come and you can get some questions answered and find out more details about what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we think we can make this happen. Um, the last chance to get for that is next Sunday night, um, next Sunday evening. Um, you can RSVP through the app, through our website, so if you haven't attended one yet and maybe you weren't planning to attend because you're just thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't need to know anything or whatever, please let me come hang out with you and, and just tell you all that God is putting in our hearts to kind of make this thing happen. Um, and along with that, we're really just feeling an urge to pray as a church more than ever before. Um, we're just, I mean, we feel like we need to just be seeking God with all that's going on in our culture, amen, and all that's going on in our world, just to seek God. And so every Tuesday night now across the street in our office area um, at 7 p.m. every Tuesday night, people from our church are gathering to pray. So if you're free on a Tuesday night to come and hang out and just join um, some other people from our church to pray and to seek God, and that thing just kind of, we're just letting it go wherever it goes. 
And God, I know this past week, man, I heard the report. I wasn't able to be there, but the Holy Spirit was just moving, and it was just awesome. And so if you're a prayer warrior, and, and we need some more prayer warriors. Uh, there's needs happening around our church, and we have a, a small prayer team that's praying for those things. But if you, if you would like to join in on praying for our church and praying for our community and praying for the people who have needs, uh, we get needs through emails, phone calls, all kinds of stuff every week of just people struggling with a lot of things. And we love to be what Scripture calls intercessors right to intercede on behalf of other people um today at, before you leave once again if you go up the ramp uh, out of the lobby up to that room above volunteer headquarters casey roberts who leads that prayer initiative would love to talk to you about how you can get involved and so um go see her and tell her you want to join with her and her team in praying for our church you with me say amen well, today we are in part three of a series that we are calling Home Life. And this series has been burning in my spirit for a really, really long time. Because since, since we started Vintage and since we've been going as a church, almost, if not on a weekly basis, several times a month, I've sat in front of couples and families who, uh, whose homes are just in turmoil. Where, where God is just is, is trying to do something in their homes, but the enemy is just attacking. And, and I've just come to realize that the front lines of this spiritual battle that we're in is the home. You in this? Amen. I mean, homes are under attack. Marriage is under attack. Families are under attack. Like, homes are just crumbling at the seams. And just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm tired of watching it happen. Like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of watching the enemy just destroy marriages and relationships and relationships between husbands and wives and moms and dads and parents and kids and brothers and sisters. I'm just tired of watching it happen. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think our homes can be something special. And I believe that God intended our homes to be sanctuaries, to be havens. I mean, the world is crazy enough as it is. Like homes, the threshold of your home should be a place of peace and harmony and unity and love. But unfortunately, for so many, they're, they're not. They're not what Scripture describes. Isaiah 32, 18, we've read this verse every single week of this series. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Like, that's my prayer for y'all. That's the kind of home I want. That's the kind of ho home I want you to have. Do you see those words? Peaceful dwelling places, secure Places of rest. And I know that doesn't describe a lot of the homes that, that you guys grew up in, or even a lot of the homes that exist in this room right now. But, but we can change that, right? We can overcome that. Like the enemy doesn't have to win, right? We can, we can make our homes these things, but it just doesn't happen. This kind of home doesn't happen by accident or coincidence or by chance. It takes a lot of work. Proverbs 24 3 and 4, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. In other words, this kind of home, like it takes a lot of work. And so over the last several weeks, we've been really trying to just be honest about at wrestling with that question. How are things at home? Because if our homes are going to be all that God wants them to be, we're going to have to wrestle with that question in an honest way, right? We're just going to have to really say, all right, how are things at home? To wrestle with that question and look, at their, if, if they are not the way God intended them to be, there's a reason. And we need to attack those issues that are keeping our homes from being all that God desires them to be. In week one, we talked about, I, I gave you six ways to ensure that you wreck your home. Six attitudes and actions that if you do those things, it's guaranteed your home's going to be awful. But we could go that route, or we could adopt some of the things that the Bible says. I know that's crazy. 
But what if we actually lived out what Scripture tells us as to how we're supposed to approach relationships? And we walk through several things that Paul says in Romans chapter 12 about the attitudes and actions that we need to adopt. Not, not they need to adopt, that, that I need to adopt, right? In order for our homes to be what they're supposed to be. And then last week we talked about the reality is our homes are supposed to be places of harmony. But it doesn't mean they're absence of, absent of conflict. And there are some conflicts that are more difficult to overcome than others. And we talked about all those different issues. Well today we're going to get as real as we've ever gotten. Because there's one thing that will always destroy a home. Like today, I want us to, to seriously address the one thing that always leads to destruction. Like if this thing is constantly present in your life and in the lives of the people in your home, you can bet your home is going to end up destroyed. And that one thing is sin. And I know, like, y'all thought, oh, I didn't think this was that kind of church. What's he t- Sin, that's like this old, that's, that's an old way of talking, an old way of thinking. But here's the reality. I've never sat in front of a couple whose marriage ended, and it wasn't because of one or both of their sin. Every single time. Without fail, if a home is in shambles, if a home ends up destroyed, if it ends up falling apart, I can almost guarantee you the, res- the reason is sin. And now I know we live in a culture like we don't like to talk about that word, sin. And it's become a word that is kind of subjective. And we've kind of made it out, well, what's sin for you? It was not sin for me, and I don't have that conviction. And, and, and you kind of just say, that's the problem. Because there are some things that God has deemed sinful. And so if, if, you're, if you're new to church or if you're new to faith, and you're still trying to walk through all this, trying to figure out, so what am I talking about? It, there, in, God gave us his word. Genesis to Revelation. Table of contents to maps, I believe it. And in that word, he's laid out what's best for us. That there are certain things that he wants for our lives in a certain way we're supposed to conduct ourselves in a certain way we're supposed to view things and approach relationships. And, and, and like God's given us these things. And when we make the willful decision to disobey that, to ignore it and do our own thing, that's called sin. And that breaks the heart of God and it leads to our destruction. You with me so far? Say amen. Like God has laid out, like, and there's a reason why God has laid these things out. There's a reason why God has said, these are things you, sh- you should do, these are things you shouldn't do, these are things, the ways that you should act, these are the ways you shouldn't act, and I know we grew up, in, and we don't like that because we don't like rules. Like that feels really, but, but when, when you get to the place where you understand that everything that God has said do, there's a good reason. Everything that God has said don't do, there's a good reason. And this is where it will click for you if you get to understand that, that what God has deemed sin is not for your limitation, but for your protection. You with me? Like, the things that God has deemed sin, it's not because, and, he, and you know, and I'll admit, for the most part, sin's fun. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. Come on. I mean, we got to admit, in the moment, for a season, sin is a blast. And if you don't agree, then you ain't never done it right. Right? I mean, for a moment, for a season, temporarily, it's fun. But it only has one eventual destination. Destruction and death. 
And when we realize that, it can be a game changer in our lives. That there are things that God has called sin. And those things aren't to limit us, but they protect us and they're for our best. And, and, and James puts it like this, James chapter 4, verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In other words, sin is not just the things that, that you do that you shouldn't have done. They're the things that you don't do that God has called you to do. Are you with me? Any de- deliberate disobedience of God, and all throughout Scripture we see things like this, Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death. James 1.15, sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Like there's only one destination for sin. And I know it may feel good in the moment. And I know temporarily it may give you some type of pleasure and joy. But its eventual destination is death. And when it exists in your home life, it will kill your home. Sin will destroy your home. Sin will destroy your relationships. Sin will destroy your marriage. Sin will destroy your career. Sin will destroy your finances. Sin, it has no other destination. There is no alternative. You, you, it eventually will destroy. It will be destructive. And if we're going to kind of have the home life, the kind that we're talking about we're desiring to build for our homes, then we're going to have to get honest about the sin that exists in our lives. And, you know, we've talked about this dozens of times as a church, and nobody wants to be honest about it. We want to pretend like it's not a big deal. Like it really doesn't matter. Like I've got it under control. Like I can fix it. But it's just not the case. It's going to destroy and every time I sit before a family or I, or I get the opportunity to counsel and walk through difficult things with families, every single time, eventually it comes out that there's some sin that people are getting caught up in. And, and, and what I've discovered is there's two that have become more prevalent in my experience. There's, there's two specific sins that I have watched take down homes quickly and oftentimes permanently and I'm going to call them what the Bible calls number one is adultery nothing destroys a home like adultery and that may be a big word that you understand when, when people step outside the covenant and, and the vows of marriage when people disrespect and disregard that union that God created, it wreaks havoc in a home like no other thing I've ever seen. And Scripture told us that it would. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Like there, I've watched it happen so many times when what destroys a home is when one or both of the individuals in the marriage have allowed temptation to creep in and they've broken that vow and that bond and they've not stayed faithful to what God has called them to in their marriage. And you know what? So often, 
So often it doesn't happen that people set out to have an affair. It, ha- it can happen so quickly. And see, this is what I want you to understand right now. There's people in the room, there's married people in the room thinking, that will never happen in my marriage. My marriage is strong. My marriage is good. I love my spouse. Do you know how many families have been ripped apart by adultery who said that exact same thing at one time? And you know what? We live in a culture that makes it really easy for that temptation you know how many marriages I've watched be brought down from an adulterous affair because of stupid social media? And you know what? Here's the thing, too. What you need to understand is this thing called adultery is bigger. That I believe that you can commit adultery and never have a physical relationship with somebody that wasn't your spouse. Why? Because I, I believe, number one, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. That Jesus says, you know what, maybe you never touched her, but you thought about it. You let your eyes linger a little bit longer than they were supposed to, and in your mind, you took yourself to a place that you know you shouldn't have gone, and maybe physically you never laid a hand on him or her, but you allowed it to get in your mind. Do you know how many relationships and homes that are being ripped apart because of either a guy or a, a female's addiction to pornography? When sexual sin is present in a home, it wreaks havoc like none other. And you know what? There's some people think, well, I've, n- I've never really thought. When This is just... But I, this is the gospel according to me. Okay, I, this is me speaking. Y'all with me? Sometimes Paul says this is I, Paul, talking. I believe any time you look to get from someone else what you're only supposed to get from your spouse, you're crossing that line. Are you with me? Say amen. When you look to get something from someone else that you're only supposed to get from your spouse, that one you were united with as one, you're crossing that line and sin is coming in and it will wreak havoc on your home. Of all the things that I've watched wreak havoc in homes, this perhaps is the most difficult to come back from. This is perhaps the most difficult to find forgiveness in and be restored and healed. But there's another one I feel, I feel responsible to mention. Because there's, this, there's a second thing that I'm watching that's growing in our culture and growing within our homes. I see a lot of times adultery start to wreak havoc in homes. But the second thing is addiction. In some form or fashion. Church, we are in a culture where addiction is enslaving people. And turning them into people that they never thought they would be. And now again, let me just go ahead and say, I say that word, and you guys already have in your mind what addiction looks like, right? You automatically probably think drugs or alcohol. But I would submit to you that there's a lot of addiction that's running rampant in our culture, and it's bigger than just drugs and alcohol. And I would even submit to you that every one of us have a lean, have a tendency 
towards being caught up in some type of unhealthy addiction that wants to hijack our lives. It may be drugs, it may be alcohol, it may be pornography, it may be shopping, it may be social media, it may be you're addicted to your career. Something that is taking over control of your life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It's a verse maybe you've heard before and it's really easy to skip over. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, what Paul is saying right here, he says you have to be careful. Debauchery, you, you hear that word and you're like, I can't even hardly say that word, much less understand what it means. But what it means when, you, when debauchery comes in your life is when you have impulses that so take root in your life that you no longer can control your urges. That you have an impulse to do something or be a part of something that when that impulse grows so much, you kind of just lose control of yourself and just allow yourself to be sucked into that. And what, what Paul is saying here is, you know what? There's, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the one in charge of your life. Everybody agree with that? Come on, you with me? Say amen. Like if you call yourself a believer, if you follow God, then God's supposed to be the one that's driving your life. Guess what? When you're drunk, God's not driving your life. When you're drunk, when you're high, when you're going after something, and it's no longer God steering the ship, it is that substance or that thing. And what Paul is saying is, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow God, there should never be a moment when you let something other than God be the controlling force in your life. And when you have an addiction and you allow that addiction to just take root in your life and it gets control of you, it's a dangerous place. That's what he's talking about right here. It's a place where, you know what, you're no longer in control. And if you've ever suffered with an addiction, you know that feeling. Where that substance or that thing is in control. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. You know why this is important? It says, be alert and of sober mind. In other words, like you've got to have it to get, like you, got, you, you can't allow something else to take control of your life. You know why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like when you allow a substance or a thing to take control of who you are, it's opening yourself up for the enemy to start steering you and moving you instead of God. And so if you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's not that big a deal, just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that. I don't do it all the time. There should never be a moment when we allow something other than God to be in charge and can in control. And you know what? Time after time, I've watched some form of addiction take charge in somebody's life and just wreak havoc. And again, very rarely, nobody set out to become an addict. Just like they didn't set out to become an adulterer. They didn't set out to head down that. They, like nobody made the decision, you know what? I'm going to start doing this today and do it for the rest of my life till I have nothing left. But so many people have ended up in that place. And see, here's, here's one of the big reasons why those two things wreak the most havoc in our homes. Because adultery and, and addiction will always lead to dishonesty. Those two behaviors will drive a person to be dishonest and deceitful more than any other two behaviors I've ever seen. 
When someone's caught up in adultery, the lies that they will tell because of the guilt and shame to try to cover up their behavior, to try to, to, to keep somebody off of knowing what they're doing and what they're involved in. The only way to operate in adultery is along with dishonesty. Addiction will make you dishonest. From what it takes to feed that habit financially and to hide it from people that love you and may be able to see it. And can we all just be honest about dishonesty and what it does and the damage it does to relationships? Remember, at its core, our homes are about relationships, amen? At its core, that's what they are. What does more damage to relationships than a loss of trust? Is there anything that's more destructive than a loss of trust? Again, Scripture warns us of this. Proverbs chapter 52, verse 2. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharp razor. Proverbs 25, 18. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Proverbs 29, 12. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. In other words, lies begin to taint everybody and affect everybody. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have, been taken, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have been put, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Like, every single time, without fail, sin destroys. The two most common sins that I see running rampant in our homes today are adultery and addiction. And both of those, the biggest reason why they end up being destructive is because every time both of those end up in dishonesty and a broken trust among the people in that home. If we're going to have these kind of homes that God wants us to have, if we're going to have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have, if you're going to have the kind of life that God wants you to have, then you got to get real about this issue that culture wants to dismiss called sin. And now, if I stopped here, I'd be a terrible pastor. Because here's what you're thinking. I know in, in, there's people in this room that are involved in some type of sin that's ruining your life right now. It's messing things up. It's messing up your relationships with your spouses, with your family, with your friends. It is wreaking havoc in your life. But the good news is, it doesn't have to stay that way. Like that, Jesus came so sin didn't have to keep ruining our lives. So you don't have to sit there and wallow in the guilt and the shame of sin. There is something through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the cross of Christ that can be done in order for you to have victory and overcome and start to get well and whole and restored. But the first thing you're going to have to do is the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do. Honest confession. Honest confession. Your road to recovery, your road to reconciliation and restoration begins and is predicated on your honest confession. You cannot heal from something you won't admit, admit exists in your life. Honest confession. 
James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Proverbs 28, 13, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses it and renounces them finds mercy. You want to have the home life that God desires for you? You want to have the relationships? You want to have all these things? You got to deal with that sin. It begins with just honestly confessing it, being open about it. I said a few weeks ago that concealment is far more dangerous than confession. You got to confess it. Second thing is this, immediate removal. Like if you're going, after you confess your sin, there's some things in your life that are going to have to go. Come on. There's some changes that are going to have to be made. There's going to be some people that can no longer be in your life, at least for a season. There's going to be some places that you no longer go. There's going to be some things that you need to drastically do. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go in. And and that sounds really drastic, but Jesus is saying if there is anything in your life that's continuing to feed your sin, you need to drastically and immediately remove it. It's got to go. See, confession is enough. See, we, there's been times in the room, people, you've confessed and confessed and confessed, but that's as far as you've been willing to go. And that's why that sin keeps coming back and keeps wreaking havoc. Not because it has to, not because God can't give you victory, but because you're never willing to go beyond just saying, I have a problem. You have to take some drastic measures. Honest confession, strate- uh, uh, immediate removal, and then the third thing that you're going to have to do is set up some strategic boundaries some guardrails. You're going to have to set some guardrails in your life to protect yourself from moving into that place. You know, I remember when I used to do youth ministry, I used to have this question, usually from teenage boys, Pastor Matt, how far is too far? I'm like, and now that I have a daughter, I'm cutting somebody. Mm -hmm -hmm." (laughs) But this is what I hear. It's like, this is what we want to know. I want to know how close to the edge of sin I can get without falling off, right? But here's the thing. If this is where we live, can we all agree it doesn't take a whole lot to push us over? So I'm not saying let's, set, let, let, let's figure out how close we can get to adultery or addiction without going over. I'm saying let's see where adultery and addiction starts and let's get as far away from it as we possibly can. Set boundaries. Ephesians chapter 5. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Remember that. James chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians 5. For you once were in darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all the goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do. What did he say? Have nothing to do. Like don't even get close to it. Have nothing to do with uh, with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. It is shameful. 
even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Then I love verse 15. Be careful then. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be careful then. In other words, you've you got to have some honest confession, and you've got to have some immediate removal of some things, but then you've got to set some guardrails. You've got to strategically put some boundaries in your life, not as close to the edge as you can get, but where you can see it coming. Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going, and they pay the penalty. In other words, like I see the edge and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to cross it, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And next thing you know, you've crossed the line and temptation has been too much and you've given in and it's over. The number one thing that's standing in the way of the home you desire, the relationships you desire, the life you desire, it's sin. And yours may not be addiction adultery but there's something that you battle a temptation that sometimes gets the best of you and if you want to deal with it it's going to take honest confession the courage to immediately remove some things from your life and the willingness to set some really strategic boundaries so that you don't keep walking into that sin again would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? Would you do some really serious work today, church? Would you not dismiss what we're talking about today? If you're here today and you know, like there's some, you know, the things, the sins, the temptations that you battle that, are, that have wreaked havoc on your life maybe for, for years. Or maybe you're sitting here right now and your home is in turmoil because of the decisions that you've made and the sins that you've allowed to creep into your life. Will you deal with it? And I don't know, maybe this is old school and this is uncomfortable. Would you come and kneel at this altar and begin with honest confession? I'm going to open up the altar right now and just invite you to come and kneel and pray. Maybe that's your first step. Come on now. There's sin in my life. There's sin in my home. There's sin that's happening. I just want to deal with it. Nobody's judging you. They wish they had your courage to come. Come on. Let's deal with it, man. It can't be healed. It can't be redeemed. It can't be restored if you won't, be de- if you won't have the courage to deal with it. And it takes so much. I know it does. You're surrounded by people that love you and are struggling with things themselves. there's somebody down here that you know and love, would you come down and just lay a hand on them and just pray for them if you feel led? Just a moment, we're going to worship. And church, I'm going to invite you one more time. We have the courage to wrestle with the thing that will destroy your home. Father, I pray right now that as we worship you and as we seek you, as we pursue you, that you'd speak to our hearts. And that God people would have the courage to respond to whatever it is you're telling them. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. 
For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.